Pro football player Travis Kelsey is pressed for time during the football season. So he does two things at once. Whether it's grilling while mowing. Two things at once! Or getting this season's updated COVID-19 shot at the same visit as his flu shot. Two things at once. You can be like Travis and ask your pharmacist about getting this season's COVID-19 shot at the same visit as your flu shot, if you're due for both, as recommended by the CDC. Learn more and schedule at VaxAssist.com. Sponsored by Pfizer. There's a reason Bowling Green State University is ranked number one in Ohio for student experience. Our in-demand degrees and life design program prepares students for their first career and their next. With an unparalleled support system at a national research university, BGSU offers an unrivaled experience, all on a vibrant campus in one of America's best college towns. It's also why Bowling Green State University is the number one school in the Midwest that students would choose again for the fourth year in a row. Josh Allen, looking deep, going deep. To me, talking about the Bills, what else would you rather be doing? We're hoping to add a, a new dimension to the Cover One Network. Slings it deep down field, and it's Right now, I just want to talk about this championship level. I've never had a championship caliber team to talk about. I want to focus more on the storylines each week. What are the big stories going on with the Bills? What are uh, thoughts, commentary? How do these things impact Buffalo? Deep drop. Deep throw. And it is pulled in for the touchdown. Allen deep to the end zone and caught for a touchdown. Play action. Welcome into a new edition of the Going Deep Podcast. Special edition, as always, we have a crossover specialist here with Mike Bunt and Kevin Ostreicher for one of my favorite podcasts out there, actually, Locked on Ravens. Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I've, I've been looking forward to this matchup for ever since it was announced. It's a little early in the season. Somehow, at 1 o'clock instead of a primetime game, but here we are. Yeah, it's probably they're probably both victim. Like the Bills have a bunch. They probably just they just probably couldn't put every single one of them on. Uh, they were, the Bills have already played twice in primetime, but I probably would have preferred to see this this in primetime over a couple of the other ones that they do have. But uh, just par for the course, Kevin. And uh, really uh, interesting times, so I guess, for both teams. Both teams are coming in two and one. Both teams losing weirdly to the Miami Dolphins, and um, the Dolphins are all over both of our. Uh, our uh, teams right now. So I guess we have that in common, right, Kevin? Yeah, right. Yeah. The Ravens, it was pretty brutal fashion. And out of the Bills, same thing, brutal fashion. They lost as well. So two pretty brutal losses there. Baltimore blows a 21 point lead in the fourth quarter. Two it throws for 469 in the game. Something on her. He had like 10% of his career passing yards in that one game. So yeah, the, the Dolphins have gotten both our numbers for sure. I sure do. I guess we'll start there, actually, because it's kind of relevant. Talk to us about that Dolphins-Ravens game. And, you know, we kind of watch it from an unbiased outsider's perspective. But tell us what happened. Like, I mean, the Ravens are notorious for having a pretty good defense. You know, what was going on with that secondary who's usually pretty strong? You know, you have Marcus Peters. You have a couple of other names there that generally show out. Like, what what happened? Like, uh, what what? how did Tua expose that? Yeah, there, there were a couple factors. So for one, and I know the Bills have been going through their own secondary issues with injuries, but Baltimore's secondary was, the, the cupboard was bare, I would say. They ended the game with three healthy corners on the field. It was Marcus Peters, who hadn't played in 611 days. That was his first game back since he 
tore his ACL and actually first came back since the 2021 divisional loss the Ravens had to Buffalo. And then they had Jalen Armour Davis, who was a rookie out of Alabama, playing in his first real NFL action. And when you're when you're tasked to go up against guys like Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle in your first NFL action, he had some nice plays, but it, it was miscommunications in the Baltimore secondary. Kyle Hamilton had a couple of those, and it was just big play after big play after big play. And they got burned. And by the end of the game, Baltimore's offense really couldn't get anything going as well. And you see Tua trot onto the field when the, the game is tied. And I had tweeted out before, I said, Baltimore's offense has to run the clock down. They have to score in order to just not put that offense back on the field. The Ravens end up getting a field goal, which obviously was not enough because Tua drives down the field and Jalen Waddle scores the game-winning touchdown. So the Ravens in week three against the Patriots, they cleaned up on some of those miscommunications. Still, yardage-wise was not great. Devontae Parker had a career game in that one for the Patriots. But in week two, it came down to just health in the secondary miscommunications. Yeah, for sure. And Marlon Humphrey, was is he hurt? Was he out? What, what was his? Uh, yeah, story? yeah. So that's another point. So Marlon Humphrey was dealing with a groin injury throughout the week leading up to the game. And he played in the game, but on the final couple drives, on at least on the final drive, he was not able to be in the game. So he was watching from the sideline. Brandon Stevens, who was effectively their third corner because Kyle Fuller tore his ACL in week one, he was out in this game with an injury. So they, they just had to deal with what they had to deal with. And also Pepe Williams, who I think had some nice plays in the slot that game, he left with an ankle issue. So it was just multiple guys leaving, coming in, going out. And by the end of the game, it was Peters, Armour Davis, and also Daryl Worley, who the Ravens actually just got rid of today. Really? It, so, it sounds pretty similar to the way the Bills game went down. The Bills are obviously out going in. They were down to a UDFA corner from literally their local college uh, was playing, was starting for them. Uh, and the Bills have a really good defensive scheme, still somehow kept them in check. Most people will say it's because the Bills held the ball for 90 plays. But uh, the matter of fact is that they were able to get something out of a cornerback room that uh, – uh, not not even kidding. Um, they were playing guys from um, from the local college uh, by the end of the game. So, you know, what's interesting to me in this in this regards are that the Ravens can share that kind of experience a little bit. It's just a little different fashion. Obviously, the Ravens was more of a blown lead. The Bills was kind of they just really couldn't finish anything in the first place. So it's kind of like a little bit little bit difference of a scenario. And they and you talked about it. They bounced back against the Patriots. So Mac Jones gets hurt. They played pretty good. I watched a little bit of that. I watched a little bit of film. Not not much yet. Talk to me about you know, Lamar's season and really competing right now with, I guess, Tua, but Josh Allen for maybe the top two of the top three quarterbacks in the league right now. Yeah, I think there are a lot of those guys. You can even throw Jalen Hurts in that conversation if you wanted to. But this game against the Patriots, it wasn't necessarily a must-win game, but it was very important for them to win after a game like that against Miami where they, you know, honestly, they should be 3-0 and right now. But the Miami game did happen. Lamar has been incredible this year. You know, definitely in the conversation, if not in the lead for the MVP. I know you can throw Josh Allen in that conversation. Hurts as well, a couple others. But Lamar's been incredible. He's averaging or averaging. He has an 11.4% touchdown percentage. So he's throwing a touchdown on 11.4% of his passes. That is by far the best mark in the NFL. The next closest is Tua at 7.9. And he's been very poised in the pocket this year. Not that he wasn't before, but he, he looks more confident behind an offensive line that has a bit more stability this year. The only real position they're looking at, and there's been a bit of turnover, is left tackle. Or Ronnie Stanley still hasn't been able to come back from that ankle injury he suffered in 2020. He's only played one game since then. Unclear, I'd say, if he's going to play in week four against Buffalo. 
I'm, I'm not counting on anything because it's been a very long process for him. He's waiting for himself to get 100% on the field. But you have Ben Powers, Tyler Linderbaum, Kevin Zeitler, Morgan Moses. They've played each of the first three games together. Lamar, I think, has also been pushing the ball down the field at an incredible rate. We've seen the big plays really be a big factor for them. Rashad Bateman has a 75-yard touchdown. Devin Duvernay has been on the receiving end of multiple amazing Lamar Jackson throws. And Mark Andrews, you know, he, while, while Lamar Jackson doesn't necessarily have a Stephon Diggs wide receiver or DeAndre Hopkins <laughs> wide receiver, Mark Andrews <laughs> being one of the best tight ends, if not the, I mean, he's playing like the best tight end in the league again this year. He was the best in 2021. That is their number one pass catcher. But a big concern for the Ravens going in for a lot of people was how are the Ravens going to bounce back after trading away Marquise Brown and not really addressing the position in the offseason? They go back that, you know, instead of taking a wide receiver in the draft, they take two tight ends and they, they address their offensive line. So it was like, oh, right, they're going to go back to running the football. It won't be necessarily 2019 where it was pretty much almost all running the football. But that year, Lamar Jackson did lead the league in touchdown passes through three weeks. Lamar Jackson leads the league in touchdown passes here with 10. And the run game has really been largely ineffective outside of Jackson. J.K. Dobbins comes back, but Jackson has put the team on his back this year. He is the offense. He's accounted for 86% of Baltimore's offensive yards this year. So if you want to stop the Ravens, you, you got to start with number eight because he is the team right now. It's interesting. They're very similar scenarios. The Bills, Josh Allen's like 83%. So this is a game where there's two players that are going to take up 70% of the game's yards, which is a very, very interesting uh, situation that you don't see too often. It might, it's got to be the most percentage between two teams going off in a long time. Like that, that's, that's, that's unheard of. Um, and, you know, both have to share that they're, they're lost to the Dolphins. Now the Dolphins are on top of the AFC uh, against, you know, the tiebreakers and might need those down the stretch at some point. Um, so they do, they are sitting pretty against the Bills and the Ravens, but, you know, we all know they need to make it to the playoffs. They have once uh, since 2000. So uh, they've won one playoff game. So they've got a lot to, they've got a lot to prove. And, you know, the Bills fans are growing, um, letting Dolphins fans know that, but the Bills fans still only have three or four playoff wins themselves uh, in most recent memory. So there's still definitely some proof. Ravens have a little bit more of a recent history uh, with some success, but Lamar Jackson is definitely a topic I want to I want to ask you about. What have you seen from him in this contract? You really him representing himself, um, you know, kind of the the reluctancy to pay him. What like what's going on with all on your perspective? What's going on with all of that? Just in, enlighten us about where Lamar is with that. I know, obviously, I think he had like that Aaron Judge style deadline as well. Like, what 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 is that like? And what I guess talk to us about where he's at and seems to be like Aaron Judge having that type of season. Yeah, well, the the price of Lamar Jackson, my thing was it's going to continue to go up. And, and I know the big concern for Jackson's side of things is what if he gets injured? That's that's the biggest thing that people are looking at with him. But you might, yeah, the Aaron Judge style deadline, his deadline was right before the start of the season, which I think was the right call. You know, you don't want to have, not that it would have been a distraction, but people have not been talking about it as much ever since that deadline happened because it was, it was, and it still is, but it was, it's been a top of conversation here for, almost a, a year, two years. And I, I thought that Lamar was going to be the first quarterback to sign out of that class. Obviously it was Josh Allen and that deal's looking like a steal every single day <laughs> that, that, that it goes by. But for Jackson, I think there are multiple mindsets that he could be in. And obviously none of this is confirmed yet. He's been relatively tight to the vest as have the Ravens in this stuff, you know, just saying that they want to work out something. Both sides are very adamant that they want this partnership to continue. 
But for Jackson's side of things, with every extension, with every quarterback deal we've seen get done, that is a win for him. And the price continues to go up. Now, I know the reported holdups are the fully guaranteed deal. And obviously, the Deshaun Watson contract kind of has that thing. And I know, I think a lot of general managers around the league, a lot of ownership groups, sighed uh, a sigh of relief when the Kyler Murray deal wasn't fully guaranteed. And the other ones coming after that weren't because it has not become a trend it was more of an outlier in this situation. Now, if there is a quarterback here that is not signed, who deserves a fully guaranteed deal, it's obviously the more Jackson. You know, you can talk about, but these deals for Jackson, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, they're going to be astronomical. And I think what Jackson is doing here potentially, as we saw in 2012 with the Ravens, Joe Flacco turned down an extension during his rookie year and essentially bet on himself. Now, Flacco said he didn't really view it that way, but he ended up going out winning the Super Bowl and earns himself, you know, t- probably tens of millions of dollars on the contract that he would have gotten if he had signed before the year ended. Now for Jackson, it's a, it's a bit more escalated because I think if Jackson is in the MVP conversation all 18 weeks, if he w- makes the playoffs, wins the Super Bowl, et cetera, et cetera, he's stacking tons and tons and tons of money on top of any potential deal that he was offered by the Ravens. And I think a lot of people forget that he was in the MVP conversation last year through the first half of the year really that Miami game you know the Dolphins keep popping up here but the Miami game last year week 10 the cover zero game is kind of known here where the Ravens had no answer that was kind of the beginning of the end for Lamar Jackson's season he he didn't really have a great end to the year obviously the ankle injury he misses the final couple games of the year if he had signed then his stock then isn't as high as it is now and I don't think will be as high as it would be at the end of the season especially if he continues to play like this and now the price continues to go up and up and up and, and you know he deserves every every penny of any contract he gets and I think he's played it the right way but again there is the there is the factor of risk with injury and there's risk on both sides you know Baltimore with not signing him not giving him what he wanted might have to pay more than they were anticipating even then. So it's it's a fluid situation, definitely one that we haven't seen here in Baltimore ever in terms of just the magnitude this deal is going to be because it's going to be a big one. Yeah, absolutely. If you now, if I was just running some stats here in the background, and I'm looking at the, the one of the, the topics of conversation I wanted to talk to you about was the Ravens offensive line. Now, you mentioned Stanley a little bit earlier in, the, in when we were chatting here. Also, you know, kind of the, the rotation that's happened on the Ravens offensive line there at that specific position. You did mention some players to me that stick out to be some pretty decent offensive linemen. So where's I, I, I've been reading a lot out of Baltimore that their offensive line has struggled. Is that just the, 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 the in and out, the missing Stanley? Like what's the run blocking issues? I guess talk to me about what's going on on the O-line of the Ravens. Is that's you know, quite frankly, where a lot of Bills fans would be focused. The Bills have a really strong defensive line. Uh, it's one of their strengths of the roster. It's their health, probably. Mind missing a few pieces there, too, but still one of their healthier position groups, especially their DNs have been really good. What is going on at the Ravens' offensive line spot? And to me, there's some names there that, quite frankly, are pretty good. Yeah, there are. And I think when you're starting off on the line, yeah, Ronnie Stanley is the piece that makes or breaks the line. And he, again, hasn't played since 2021, that week one game against the Raiders. But dating back to the middle of 2020, he's only played in that one game. So they have had that rotation. Juwan James tears his Achilles in week one. So he's done for the year. Passion McCarry sprains his ankle as the replacement replacement for Ronnie Stanley. So He's now, un, it's unknown what, it's a low ankle sprain is reported by Jeremy Fowler, so we don't know the timeline there. So in the Patriots game, in comes Daniel Falele, the fourth round pick out of Minnesota. Huge mountainous man, but had never played left tackle before. It was 
primarily, in fact, he was only a right tackle in college. And so he gets beat by Dietrich Wise twice early on and gives up two pretty easy sacks. But then as the game went on, Baltimore got him help. He was able to do some things there. So the left tackle position is a bit of a, a rotation right now until Stanley comes back. But Tyler Linderbaum, their, their first round rookie out of Iowa, struggled a bit in week one. He was going up against Quentin Williams, who was one of the better defensive linemen in this league. And some of those bigger bigger defensive linemen will give him some issues. Now, Linderbaum's super athletic, can get out into space. But when he's going up against guys, he coming out of, of college, one of the concerns was his size, a bit undersized at the center position. And for the Ravens, they're going to go up against some of those guys throughout the year. But Linderbaum has held his own over these past couple of weeks, has definitely improved and, and has been solid, pretty, very solid overall. Kevin Zeitler is one of the best in the business at right guard. You can kind of plug and play him and not really have any concerns there. Ravens had a competition at left guard and Ben Powers ended up winning. He, he's been overall, I think, better than a lot of people anticipated it would be. He struggled a little bit during the preseason, but has really stepped up. And then Morgan Moses is, again, one of those solid, durable veterans who hasn't really missed a ton of time over the course of his career. Definitely a better pass protector than he's, he is like ferocious in the run game or anything, but he still has been a constant and, and just a solid overall piece. So it feels like Jackson is, is definitely more comfortable behind this version of the offensive line than we saw last year with guys like Alejandro Villanueva playing left tackle, which just did not work out at all for them. And, and it's been good. Now the Bills defensive line presents, I think the biggest challenge so far this year for them, obviously Von Miller is going to be a big, big deal to stop. But for what they've done so far through three weeks, I think people are, are a bit more impressed than I think that they would have been if, if stuff had gone the other way and they had been shuffling guys in and out at every position. So I'm going to finally chip in here. I wanted to give Kevin the first 16 minutes of the show. But um, so in the past, the Bills have had two matchups against Lamar Jackson. Lamar got the first one against a good Bills defense in 2019. Then the Bills got payback in the playoffs. But both times, Buffalo has found a way to limit the Ravens offense, which had been on fire um, during both of those seasons. What obviously the Bills have a good defense, but what do the Bills do that that I guess creates difficulties for Lamar Jackson? And is that something that uh, is a concern for the Ravens, even though they're going up against a, an undermanned injured defense, or is that something that you feel more confident going up against with the evolution of Lamar's passing game and? him becoming a, a better passing quarterback uh, throughout the years. Yeah, I think what we've seen evolution-wise has been phenomenal this year. And I think he put on a lot of a lot of muscle this offseason, got his weight up a little bit, and it hasn't impacted him both as a thrower and as a runner. You mentioned that Buffalo was able to stifle the Ravens' offense a lot more than other teams were able to do before those matchups. And my answer last year would have been blitz because the Ravens couldn't figure out the blitz last year. But against the Dolphins, the Ravens, at least this this year in week two, they figured it out. And the Dolphins blitzed them and Lamar Jackson was dicing up. I think part of that evolution has been the willingness of Jackson to take the short stuff, take the check downs, take the short slants instead of really looking for stuff to develop downfield every single time. And that's been a big evolution because that can be an extension of the run game. And I think against the Buffalo defensive line that can win quickly against the Ravens offensive line that, you know, this is again, their biggest test. Lamar might have to take those check downs again. And, you know, for other quarterbacks, you can say, I'll oh, just flush them out of the pocket, make them uncomfortable. But Jackson can make something out of nothing. There can be five defenders around him and he can get a, get a gain of 10 on a run. So it's what makes him so special. I know Josh Allen can do the exact same thing. So it's a, again, a, a battle of those two quarterbacks, but I think in, 
comparing it to years past, I'm more confident this year that Lamar Jackson can, I guess, especially against that undermanned Bills secondary, figure it out. Because a lot of people, I talked about it a little bit, thought that this was going to be a run team where they were going to run the ball a lot. The pass game would be there, but it wouldn't be as prevalent. The passing offense has carried this offense. The run game outside of Jackson has been nowhere to be found. So I think if they can take advantage of that, push the ball down the field, that's going to be big for them. But I think if the Bills want to stop Lamar Jackson, this Ravens offense, an area they've been, I'd say, a little iffy in this year, surprisingly, is in third and short and even fourth and short situations. You go back to the Miami game, and I'll, I'll keep bringing that one up. It, it, it was tough for them because they didn't have a great third down percentage. They got to fourth down and Lamar Jackson for as good as he is at so many things, has struggled over the course of his career with the quarterback sneak. And so we know the Ravens and John Harbaugh will go for it on fourth down. They're very aggressive in that regard. They value the analytics side of things in that regard. And so, yeah, I think that if the bills can get the Ravens, well, obviously you want to put them in third and longs, but if they do get into third and shorts and they can stifle them there, if Baltimore has to make a tough decision, football games can can be the the final score can be really one decision that a team makes that goes the opposite way. And so if there's a fourth down play, we saw it in Miami or against Miami. The Ravens, they couldn't punch it in from the Miami four-yard line from first and goal, and they get stuffed on the one-yard line on fourth down, and they don't get any points. The same thing late in the game. Fourth and one, I think the Miami 40, the Ravens have a chance to ice the game, and they don't do it. So if the Ravens get into those situations, especially with some of the struggles in the run game and the Ravens don't improve on their third and fourth down in short accuracy, that could be an issue, and I think that's where Buffalo could really stifle the Ravens. And can you talk about that run game? Obviously, the Ravens are known for having a sophisticated offense that's typically focused around uh, the running attack. Why are they struggling so much? Obviously, Lamar has his yard. It's just like Josh Allen gets his rushing yards in Buffalo. But uh, just like us in Buffalo, we're... When the kids call and they say, hey, Dad, can you pick up Skyline? I'm always like, absolutely. I'm halfway there because you don't have to tell me twice. That's the time for our family to be together. And Skyline's always been part of our family time. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Most of our backs, they're they're not really uh, getting a ton of yards. Devin Singletary has been okay. You look at uh, the Raven stats on the season, and outside of Lamar Jackson, there's no one. Um, is it just uh unlucky start to the season is it something that's going to be fixed or is this the new ravens where they are a pass first team at the moment yeah it's it's interesting because you know you, you look at baltimore's <laughs> total stats for the run game and it's it's funny because they actually are, are third in the league in yards per attempt at 5.6 but that, a, almost Lamar all of that is exactly yeah. almost all of that is from Lamar Jackson you haven't uh, I'll do it again Miami game week two Mike Davis had five carries for four yards Eesh. the Ravens as a team outside of Lamar Jackson 16 carries for 36 yards it, it's just it, it has not been great Kenyon Drake has not been the addition I think they wanted Mike Davis definitely a slower start the only positive well there are two one JK Dobbins is back now he had he played his first game in week three against the Patriots it was good to just see the ball in his hands again he'll continue to be ramped up so I think we'll see a bigger workload for him in week four here against the Buffalo 
But also you have Justice Hill was a fourth round pick out of Oklahoma State in 2019. He's looked explosive and is getting more opportunities. He had 10 carries for 60 yards. And so that's, you know, six yards per carries. When, when the Ravens run game is what it is, you'll take that 10, 10 times out of 10. But it is true in some aspects that it's the offensive line and some that it is the running backs. It is a little bit of both where I think Baltimore has been really, really good in pass protection this year. They've really improved in that area. The running game has been a bit more iffy as they try to figure stuff out. And for as much of the offensive line has played together through the first three games with four of the five starters playing next to each other for the first three, they have had multiple different starters in there. I mean, you have Morgan Moses, who is new, and Tyra Linderbaum, who is new. And before it was Jawan James, then Patrick McCarry, then Felade. So they're still putting in new pieces. They're still getting comfortable with each other. I think it will get better as the year goes on. But I think the final piece, as I've said, is Stanley. So before that happens, there will probably be a bit more struggle in that run game because Stanley is so good in pass protection, so good in the run game. And there's there are some questions. Will the mobility be there after suffering such a horrible ankle injury? What's it going to be? Is it going to be the all-pro Ronnie Stanley we know? But for now, I think they just have to get better production from their running backs. Some of it has been the running backs just haven't been able to see. Hold. It's almost like the Trent Richardson thing we saw when he was in the league where there'd be a wide open hole to the right and he'd go directly into five <laughs> defenders. So it's some of that. We saw it with Kenyon Drake on a couple of plays where he wouldn't bounce it outside and Patrick Ricard's visibly, you know, upset and saying, dang, I like I had my guy. But I think it will get better. It's just it's just a matter of time to get in Stanley back. And then I, I just have a few more things before tossing it back to Kevin. You mentioned that the Ravens have been able to, I guess, check down a little bit more this year. It's not all make or break. But you look at some of their games this year. Rashad Bateman had a had a long 75-yard uh, touchdown run after the catch. Lamar had a long 79-yard run. It, it seems like they, they still have a lot of the explosive plays. Their DVOA is number one in the league. Um, is – with this, with them averaging all these these long plays, is it more so they're just able to rip something open and, and find yard after catch, or are they taking shots down the field? How are they manufacturing all these uh, explosive plays on offense? It, it, it's a little of both. So the Ravens have historically, well, I'll say the last couple of years, the, sh the short gains turned into long ones, like screens and stuff. They haven't really been able to run successful screens for multiple years now. So they are taking these deep shots and being able to really open things up and scheme things open. I think when, when you're talking about Lamar Jackson, he is number two in the league right now in adjusted yards per pass attempt at 9.8. So he is throwing the ball deep. The Ravens have made an emphasis to push the ball down the field a little bit. But in terms of the checkdowns, Lamar's been a, a lot better at taking those when stuff doesn't develop and he isn't waiting as long to see something get open. If there's a guy in his face, he will either check down and roll out and see something and just check it to maybe a running back in the flat or he'll see something developing open over the middle of the field, which he will take. But the Ravens have made an effort, I think, to push the ball down the field. And they had done it last year as well. Jackson, for, for as good as – I mean, he has a heck of an arm. I think a lot of people – almost underrate his arm a little bit they don't really know that he can uncork that thing sometimes and he he really has done it on multiple different occasions Devin Duvernay stepped up as is the wide receiver too for them and he's really entrenched himself in that role you mentioned Bateman in that 75 yard touchdown they're they're pushing the ball down the field this year and it's working it is working for them which is a really good sign because after the departure of Marquise Brown a lot of the questions were, can they replicate that speed can they get the deep plays and arguably the offense is is better in that regard without him yeah, and I and I have one last thing about Jackson before I let Kev take over. Uh, the the age old social media debate: who's better, Josh, Lamar, 
Bills fans are going to tell you that Josh is in a tier with Patrick Mahomes. Ravens fans are going to tell you that uh, Lamar is right up there with everyone else. Um, they'll point to the MVP. Bills fans will counter with the playoff win. Um, do you believe that Lamar Jackson is in that same tier with Mahomes and Allen? And if if you don't, how, how close is uh, the difference between Allen and uh, Lamar? Because I, I'll be honest, I – I don't often when I talk about the tiers, I don't often think of Lamar. But when I when you look at the numbers, when you look at the productivity, he, he absolutely does deserve to be in the top five in the NFL. And I feel like too often people negate his rushing ability as a as they count as a negative, almost like he can't play quarterback when he, he might be, in my opinion, he's the greatest rushing quarterback the league has ever seen, which I believe he deserves credit for. So uh, where do you stand on that, that whole debate? Yeah. You know, you, you hit it on the head because I do think he's so electric as a runner, but there have been so many, so many negatives made out of his rushing ability. When in fact it is an extreme positive, but the fact of the matter is he is a quarterback and he can throw the ball and he's really good at it. I do think he's in the tier of Allen and Mahomes. I think that there are some things, you know, this guy does this better. That guy does that better. But I think it's, it's crazy because I, what was it? The, executive quarterback list on get up was it he wasn't even listening to the top 10 on that list mm-hmm. and you had guys over him like Dak Prescott and Deshaun Watson who hasn't played in two over two years and it is some of that like national media disrespect but Jackson to his credit you know has done a good job of kind of tuning that stuff out and and just doing his thing and, and really staying true to himself but I think when you're talking about these top quarterbacks in the league Jackson has proven that he is a winner I think the playoff success does have to be there for him I think that's something he does have to improve on and he, he knows that he understands that too but I think regular season wise with the record he has with the with the games that he has willed Baltimore and when you talk about like the actual breaking down like MVP there are all these players that you can say oh well without them this team would only win four games or five games or not even win a game and I think you know part of that has to do with the fact that look if you take out a guy like Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes they are the team's offense. They, they give them so many things and not saying they don't have other talented players on the offense, but these teams have built their offenses around these players. And that's why I think that Jackson and Allen and Mahomes and all those guys, when you break down in look, I know that's not what the award is actually given out for at the end of the day, when you're talking about the actual thing, but I think when you're talking about MVPs of the league, I think those three and a couple others too are in the league of their own. Do you think, yeah, that's- do you think Ravens fans feel that Lamar is overlooked? when it comes to that top tier? Yeah, I I think so. And I think we've seen it a lot when I mentioned that list on getting so look, national media hype can, you know, be valued by different people in different ways. Some people take so much stock in it. Other people take no stock in it, but I think some of the overlooked factor, I think it, it almost goes into, and this has been over the course of this whole year, but dating back to last season, when the Ravens go eight and nine, they're last in their division that they lose all these close games by one, two, three points, they lost a lot of those games because of their injuries. And look, obviously execution wasn't great down the stretch for them either. It wasn't, you know, injuries aren't the only excuse. Every team goes through them. But the Ravens coming into this year, a lot of it was, oh, well, you know, the Bengals are going to repeat as champs or the, you know, the Browns are going to do this or, you know, this, that, and the other. And so I think when, when all of that gets, you know, 
comes out on a daily basis and it's can Lamar Jackson bounce back is Lamar's all that stuff can combine into one. I think definitely does make Ravens fans feel that he is a bit overlooked because of the amazing statistics. He's had the countless records he's broken and it's still happening today. He's still breaking records. And so I think in that aspect, yes, Baltimore fans do think he's overlooked because of the talent that they see every week and then the stuff that he does. But there are those one or two arguments that I think people put so much, so much stock in like the playoff wins, which is important. Don't get me wrong, but I think people look at that and that's the argument they bring up. And, and when other stuff is brought up about him, it's like, Oh, well the playoff wins again. And so it just continues coming back to that, which I think is also something that they look at. Yeah, it makes sense. The Bill, like in Bill's land, no matter what the Bills currently do in modern history, they always go back to four in a row Super Bowls that we've lost. So even though it's not re- like literally not relevant at all, it comes up in any debate that um, you'll ever be holding. And I mean, it's held against Josh Allen and nothing to do with that. Um, but if you look forward to this game specifically, and you brought up injuries, and you know, the Bills have plenty of them, the Ravens can are there with them. Um, what's it look like? I saw Justin Houston walk off. We saw some people get carted off last week. I think I saw Harbaugh comment. Lower ankle sprain, not expecting their left tackle to play, but short term. So I guess where does where does all of this come in? And then another guy that I personally think is overlooked a little bit as well is is the nose tackle Michael Pierce, who also was carted off. So that looked pretty long term though. So where are we at with all the injuries in general? And last week, what do you what's your expectation with some of that? Yeah, so you hit it on the head there. McCarry has a low ankle sprain. I don't know how short term that is like is he going to be able to play this week or not I'm I'm just assuming he's not going to be able to play I don't know but if that is the case and Stanley isn't able to go it is going to be probably Falele again maybe they call up a guy like David Sharp from the practice squad they, they worked out a couple tackles today so maybe one of those guys is signed and elevated but that's a, that's an issue for them yeah Houston's a big one for them because they have dealt with so much at the outside linebacker position even, even dating back to week 18 last year, just to put a horrible end to a horrible season for them, Tyus Bowser tears his Achilles in the final game, and he's still okay. working his way back from that. He's on the PUP list, so he's not going to go in this one. This is the last week he can be on that for being eligible to come off. But Vince Beagle then tears his Achilles in training camp. Steven Means tears his Achilles in week two against the Dolphins. And also they drafted David Ajabo, who tore his Achilles in his pro day. So the, 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 the torn Achilles, it's, it's there and it's very prevalent for those guys. So they bring in Jason Pierre-Paul who just officially signed on Monday. And while he might not be completely caught up with the system yet, he's probably going to have to play because they just don't have anyone else to rush the quarterback at this <laughs> point. It's, it's Adafi Owe. And then guys like Brandon Copeland, who they called up off the practice squad last week and a couple other players. But Michael Pierce is the big one. And, and you mentioned him, had an arm injury in week three against the Patriots, had to be carted off with that injury. John Harbaugh said that there might be a decision Pierce has to make, and there's been no clarity on that yet, so it's unclear, but it didn't sound super promising. So that could mean he has to make a decision on whether he wants to play through pain or opt for surgery. I don't know, but he would be a big loss, especially it doesn't, it feels very unlikely he'll play in this game against Buffalo if at all for the rest of the year, but he's someone who provides a bit of interior pass rush, something that Brandon Williams couldn't really do over the course of his tenure in Baltimore provides a very solid run stuffing presence. Baltimore's run defense has struggled a lot this year. They've struggled at their, they're a bottom 15 unit in both pass offense and or pass defense and rush defense, excuse me. So Pierce would be a big one because he's one of their standout players on defense and they'd have to have other guys step up. Clayus Campbell has played too many snaps this year. You know, he's, he's in year 15, but they've had to rely on him as a big edge because they don't have any edge players. The defensive line is deep, but they're going to have to have guys like Justin Metabike and, and Broderick Washington, even Travis Jones step up there. So those are the three injuries they suffered in week three and, and what their statuses could be for, for week four. 
interesting. Lots, lots going on there, and the Bills have just as much going on in their front. You know, we could see they're basically their full team back minus Micah Hyde, or we could see a, a litany of of guys that they played last week. So we really have no idea where the Bills stand. Is <laughs> literally during the Dolphins game, uh, you had guys rolling around on the ground. It was 120 degrees down. There's been much been made about the heat down there in Miami, about how the visitor sideline isn't sheltered at all. There's been so much out of Western New York about this discussion, and uh, we're looking forward to having them come up here on 1218 uh, to face their um, face their wrath of of weather. But weather is a topic of of conversation, and, and the hurricanes rolling through. And even um, Sean McDermott mentioned he doesn't know what's going to happen here this weekend. What's your understanding of the weather situation and and what that might look like? I mean, we might not see any version of real football um, that we're talking about here if if it's going to be just running back runs or dives or, and, or some version of no passes. This one might all get thrown on its head. I mean, it looks like it could be that. I mean, like, what, what do you know about that? Yeah. So much stuff can change with that. Like it, it could be, you know, hurricane weather like tomorrow. And then it's Baltimore weather is also super weird. We're like, yeah, I know, I know in the winter, at least like it could be blizzarding one day and then be like 60 and sunny the next. Like it, it's, it's so funny when it comes to that. But I, I think if, if the, if the weather does have an impact in this game, Baltimore has to figure out their run game and do it quickly because it has been that bad where if it comes down to rushing and the Ravens have to do it, you would think, oh, well, that's awesome. It's the Ravens bread and butter, this, that, and the other. But it tells a different story this year. They just haven't gotten what they need there. So I'm interested to see what the weather situation is like, too. I know we'll probably know a bit more about that as the week continues, but we, I mean, speaking of weather, the the last time these two teams faced off, it was swirling winds and Justin Tucker misses two field goals, which is unheard of. I know Tyler Bass has a couple that, that are kind of wobbling around too. So that, that was a game where the weather really yeah. impacted it. And so I think for the Ravens, it will be important for them if the, if the rain and the winds and everything is picking up, they're going to have to figure out that run game. Hey, if it yeah. makes you feel better, the Bills can't run the ball either. So, I mean, <laughs> that, you that's what makes it interesting. You got one fast mobile quarterback, and then you got a QB power. So, <laughs> just just have Allen and Lamar run the whole game. So, right, that, yeah, we'll, that, see that like would a, be we'll see like a six to three game at the end. Hundred eighty yards I mean, for Lamar rushing, yeah. hundred forty right. for for Josh. It'd be just nuts. McDermott doesn't comment much on that, so that's why I thought thought was interesting was with him bringing that up. So that must be he's being briefed on possible weather that is likely could be there. So that's why um, it's definitely something to monitor in this one, because we spend all this time talking about in the matchup, the DB corner matchups uh, versus the receivers. And we talk about what the linebacker, you know, how linebackers are going to drop in their zones, whatever. You know, and then it comes in game day comes and it's just completely different. You're running, you know, you're running seven, eight offensive linemen on the field. You have one receiver uh, and it's just something totally different. And it's common for bill. It's common in, in Buffalo too. Like you just mentioned the playoff game that that happens where, you know, we had a game plan coming in all of a sudden against New England, uh, literally Mac Jones couldn't throw the ball uh, and they still won. Uh, so that's, that's, that's just really wild that uh, uh, Bill Belichick was able to, to, to scheme something up in a similar scenario. Uh, and this game, I only bring that up because this game could be anywhere from normal to some variation of a crazy weather game. And I'll tell you right now, Bill's fans are not even, you might not be either, but Bill's fans are not interested in a, in a crazy weather game. They'd rather go best on best and uh, kind of see what happens rather than, some variation. Yeah, if you're Buffalo, you're okay with the wind, but the rain is a hard rain is a nightmare. Josh has had issues in the past. Sometimes it's the ball slipping out of his hand in, in, in horrible situations. Obviously, both teams would probably struggle offensively, but 
I would actually like having a, a guy like Lamar where you still have that speed element uh, at quarterback compared to, to Josh. I, I know people are going to say uh, they, they like Josh and his passing ability, but when it's pouring out there, all, all bets are off. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny because the Ravens had a game in 2019 against San Francisco and San Francisco was steamrolling everyone at that point, but it was in Baltimore and it was, it was windy. It was raining. It was, it was a downpour. And L- Lamar has talked about how, you know, that, that weather impacted him and it, it, it impacts a lot of players. Like it's not just Allen or just Lamar, but yeah, I, I think Ravens fans are, are nowhere near interested. They, they want a regular game. No, no weather act ups. And I, I think that will provide the best game for both these guys. Two, two electric quarterbacks. I, I want to see both of them in, in there. <laughs> well, we'll let you get over to your lockdown Ravens. Why don't you, I guess we need to know what you're thinking for this weekend. Tell us what you're predicting for, um this this upcoming game as well as you know you're one of my favorite ravens i actually follow you for ravens you're just in general totally side from the bill from bill's stuff uh, I, I always try to get a pulse on what's going on in baltimore and other um other other cities that i think are going to compete so what what is your opinion and then obviously you have the afc north uh i i don't know i thought it might be down and it's looking like the browns are winning uh ravens are right there you got the bengals are probably I, I i got a root from against the dolphins i just have to um so i mean you have this and, you know, the Steelers are always kind of – I don't think they'll be anywhere, but they're always kind of bobbling around. And then you have the AFC South that's struggling, in my opinion. The AFC West looks nowhere. It's just going to be Kansas City again. So what, what's going on with your division? So you're probably going to have a couple teams come out again. Yeah, so I'll, I'll start with this week. I actually think Buffalo wins this one in, in a close game. I just think that – with some of the Ravens struggles they have had in the run game. And also just, I get some of the uncertainties they have in terms of like, will Michael Pierce be able to play some of these other things? I think it's a close game. I think it's extremely competitive down to the end, but I think Buffalo wins probably by like four points at the end, maybe like 34 to 30 or something like that. Now, weather depending, if we're talking like rain, then I I bump that score down tremendously, but I I still, I'm going to give the edge to Buffalo here just, just by a hair in a game that I think is going to be, Honestly, probably one of the best, if not the best of the week at the, in the one o'clock window. And then, yeah, in the, in the division, I, I think that the Ravens are still probably my favorites to win the division. The Bengals suffered two pretty bad losses at the beginning of the season games. They probably should have won, you know, it came down to field goals. Both of those losses, the Browns have won a couple of close games against their division or the, the Browns in the lead because they have a divisional win. So it's the Ravens and the Browns up at the top. And then the Steelers and the Bengals kind of hovering around tied for third. But I think that it will still come down to Baltimore and Cincinnati when we're talking, you know, in December and January, those are the two teams that I think will be most talented. I think that the Browns with Sean Watson being out, you know, Jacoby Brissett is fine, but you know, some of those games that I think Deshaun Watson on the field could win for them. Joby Brissett, Jacoby Brissett cannot. So I think that will be a team that by the time Watson gets back, they might be in too big of a situation to make the playoffs. Maybe they will, that they have a super talented roster. I mean, really, really talented. Nick Chubb is acting as the best running back in the league right now. So he, he's been great. And you're right. Pittsburgh. I don't really see them making a ton of noise this year. They do like any Mike Tomlin coach team. You cannot count out. Like he is that good of a coach. But Mr. Bisky obviously is not getting it done. I think when Kenny Pickett comes in, he might face some rookie struggles. You know, Mike Tomlin was committed to Trubisky throughout the year. I don't know how how long that will hold up or not, but I still think it will be Baltimore and Cincinnati competing for the division. And then whichever one of those teams don't make it, probably make it in a wild card spot. But you know, you mentioned the other divisions where this AFC is going to see like four or five teams that don't make the playoffs that are really, really good and have good records because of all the moves that were made and just how deep these teams are. 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, it makes sense. It's going to be an interesting division to follow for sure. Definitely one that, that matches up uh, if the AFC East. The Bills have a similar scenario with the Patriots. You can never count them out, uh, just like Mike Tomlin. So they have, you know, they're have they pretty much following suit of the AFC North. Probably see two teams out of both of those divisions uh, coming out of it after all this talk about all four of the West teams making it to the playoffs. I don't think we'll uh, – I think we're going to see that debunked pretty quickly, Kevin. Really appreciate you coming on. Uh, always, always like when we play. I don't think we've talked since the playoffs a couple of years ago, but why don't you tell us where we can follow you? I know you're off of the Ravens wire, so why don't you talk about what you're working on? Uh, we're Bills fans, and I and I swear it, guys. Like one of the better Ravens follows out there. I'm sure there's plenty of them, but I definitely enjoy your stuff. No, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much for for having me on. This was a great chat. You can find me over on Twitter at ChaosStriker34. You know, I just post some Ravens news, updates, analysis, and all that. I do also host the Locked On Ravens podcast. We do that five days a week. We're going to be previewing the Buffalo game here. We're going to do a crossover mm-hmm. with Joe Marino tomorrow, which will be really fun, and, and we'll have that. Nice. So we'll be doing that, and there's a ton of stuff relating to the Ravens and Bills, and then obviously Ravens coverage throughout the entire year, every weekday and five days a week. And then also you can find me over at Ravens Wire. We do seven days a week written content there. So anytime the Ravens make a move, any analysis on moves, you know, previews, post games, takeaways, we have it all over there. So very Ravens-oriented over here for me. But thanks a lot, guys. I do appreciate it. Thanks, Kevin. Really appreciate you having me coming on here. Um, and, uh, as you can see, make sure you check out his stuff. He's with Joe Marino. I'm sure a lot of our listeners do listen to, to Joe Marino as it is. So that's going to be a great, uh, crossover edition, but Kevin really appreciate you popping on here and, uh, really interested to kind of see your opinions throughout the game. So anyone, please go out and follow Kevin. What is your, the best way, which Twitter handle do you use the most? I, I use at chaos striker 34, the okay. best for, for tweets. Okay, there you go. So follow at ChaosRiker34 as uh, from his game day. So he always puts out good content um, that I follow. So thanks so much for popping on here, Kevin. Yeah, guys, thanks so much. I, I do appreciate it. Yep, see ya. All right, Mike. Um, that was a great right now. Lot of, lot of great Ravens content going on uh, from Kevin. Uh, really gave us – always love having Kevin on the show. But, Mike, we still have some time left here in the show. Uh, kind of already kind of re- reverse a little bit talking about uh, the Ravens game, but I think that was a nice cleanse to talk about uh, after what we saw this weekend to kind of look forward from all that. But Mike will give you a few minutes to riff on what you saw this past weekend uh, with the Miami game. I have my opinions well out there on Twitter um, already on, uh, on my opinions on it. Just, just about 15 things went wrong. Um, <laughs> but to me, that's kind of what you need. I'm not going to blame the weather. Um but I do believe that some of those items that happened um, within the game needed to happen for the, the Dolphins to pull off a two-point win. Oh, 100%. The Dolphins needed 
everything to go their way in order to pull out that victory on Sunday. And luckily for them, everything did go their way outside of uh, the punt, uh, the butt punt uh, at the very end of the game. Mm -hmm. But that was a game the Buffalo Bills lost, not a game that Miami won. Now, I give Miami credit for finishing their three red zone drives with a touchdown, which Buffalo couldn't do. I give credit to Miami for getting to Josh Allen, forcing a fumble um, in an early game situation that helped them uh, reverse the momentum. I give Miami credit for forcing the Bills to go on long drives um, and being able to get stops at the end of those drives in, in clutch moments. So... I don't want to just say that Miami doesn't deserve um, mm -hmm. kudos for making big plays at big times, but that was just a game where the Bills just couldn't make a play when it mattered. Um, it, it was incredibly frustrating. Yes, the, the injuries going into the game make a huge difference. If the Bills were fully healthy, they win this game. I'm not even sure if it's relatively close. Yes, the, the heat does make an impact from – cramping and having your team just exhausted at moments, but I'm not blaming the weather for why the bills lost. I'm not blaming the stadium uh, for why the bills lost. There's home field advantages throughout the NFL. This is not something new in Miami. The, the partial covering has been there for six years. The bills have won in Miami 35, nothing last year when it was nearly a hundred degrees at that point where the heat came into factor with the bills yesterday on Sunday was that they did not have their typical depth entering a game that you would see. They couldn't give breathers to guys when they when they needed uh, those breaks on the field. So you had guys on the field for way too long, and their bodies broke down. That was going to happen regardless of if the Bills were on the, the shaded side or the non-shaded side uh, on Sunday. And unfortunately, that's just the way it is. And I understand now that the Bills are a Super Bowl contender, our fan base is grown a little bit soft. And we want to complain at times when we lose because we're not as used to losing games, especially to what many in the fan base would consider an inferior opponent against a quarterback that many of us have made jokes about for the past couple of years. So I get it's disappointing, but we can go through all the plays that, that cost them the game. You could start with the, the Josh fumble. You could go to the uh, – where Josh had to go to Stefan Diggs on the, the muff snap right before the half in there. I, I give credit to Josh for knowing the rule and not spiking it intentional grounding. But I have heard some people say there was no alternative. There was an alternative, just an unlikely alternative. If you can't spike it, you get that ball, you throw it in the direction of Diggs, but you throw it almost immediately to the ground. You go his direction, you throw it down then you don't air it. It doesn't go out of bounds. And there's a slight chance you might have enough time on the clock. Not likely, but outside chance. I think even McDermott alluded to that. We'll talk about that play real briefly as there's a litany of plays on my list. But we're going to start there. I think you take the chance and throw it into the ground because you know that throwing it to Diggs is going to end the game. They you might not that. call it. They might, they yeah, might just blow the call. McDermott said they didn't know. Think they Are you even watching close enough? Like no one, like when I first saw that play, I'm like, there's no way Josh tried to catch him for a touchdown there. Like that doesn't even make any sense. Like, I don't know that the refs are staring at the literal transformation. You just kind of assume you get the ball, you kind of throw it to the ground. It's semantics though. Like let's talk about it up from the NFL. And that's kind of what McDermott said. That ball hits the ground and it's meant to be a spike. 
they're not going to call that grounding. Like they're really, I mean, they're really, I mean, if they call it, they call it like, but it was over anyway. And right. My, I think my issue with it there was, yeah, fans, Josh made technically the right call, but in that situation, there was no upside to doing that. So if you got the penalty, yeah, we'd be complaining like, Oh, he should know the rule. But once you, once you decided to throw it to Diggs, there was nothing that you could gain out of that play, which I know in the dwindling seconds, that's probably a scenario that Josh has never faced his entire football career, fumbling uh, a snap on a, on a spike right before an end of half situation. That, that's probably not something that people encounter or even prepare for. So I, I can understand the, but this is a good, this is a good point though, by Carl, you don't ever want to see a game without Mitch Morse again. And this is directly to this play. Like, of course not. Yeah. Like this is directly cost them. I mean, Mike more points than not having, yeah. I mean, Gabe Davis or anybody like more Morse points. Was a big, big injury. And I remember when I saw he was inactive, I was worried. Um, yeah. First of all, not, not just because Morse is out, but that means Van Roden's in. I was concerned about Van Roden being the starting center, we saw what the Bills' offensive line looked like with the starters out during the preseason. They got manhandled. Just look no further than Case Keenum, how he looked when he had a starting line in front of him compared to the backup line. And obviously Josh Allen is incredible and he can mask deficiencies. But the the pressure that Miami got all day long, you'd like to think that maybe Mitch Morse was in the game, might have been able to – maybe attack that a little bit better, maybe protect uh, a little bit better, signal things out. And it just got worse and worse throughout. When you're playing with the backup right guard, backup right tackle, your half your line is just decimated. And what, what are you going to do? You already, the, Miami was already coming at Josh in, in the first half. The protection was struggling the entire day. You can't run the ball outside of, one Zach Moss 40 plus yard run. Um, and outside of that, there is really nothing uh, in the ground attack. You're being forced to be one dimensional. To Josh's credit, he took what he got despite having an injured Gabe Davis, no Jake Kumaro. Guys exhausted all over the place, but that that actually hurt a lot of the drives. You you think about the the blocked Tyler Bass field goal that I believe Miami appealed to to say that was a blocked field goal, not uh, just a bad kick. You think back to the the fourth down incompletion, uh, even late Isaiah McKenzie had a chance to get out of bounds. It might have been an unlikely 62, 63 yarder, but the Bills just couldn't get out of their own way, and it, it's just one of those things. It, it sucks when everything is piled against you and you still outgain the team by 275 plus yards. But the bills had every opportunity. They just couldn't make one play when it mattered. You flip any of those things and it's a different result. Yeah. I mean, you know, the good thing is that like, I do, yeah, I need to see Khalil Shakir active. I don't believe having him inactive was, was a strong move. I do believe that you should have gone a different direction there. Um, with the heat, the way that it was, I would have liked to see an additional receiver on the roster for game day. Uh, I don't think that having an additional linebacker in Baylen Specter was, even though I like Specter, was the way to go in this specific matchup against the, the Dolphins. So I do think there's a little bit of uh, of a weird decision there, and it came back to haunt them. I don't believe you need three running backs plus special teams running back active on game day. Um, so um, you know, the matter of fact At is this that point, is it pass protection because yes, they give the ball to Moss a few times, but 
at, at this point, you have to wonder is the only is the main reason Moss even playing pass protection because it's got. I mean, it's got to be. There's. I, I will say when McDermott's not making decisions just based off of yards per carry and rushing yards and and to Moss's credit, he made a few good plays. His 40 plus yard run was impressive and he made a nice deke um, to get a first down on a, on a reception with a guy right in his face. But that's not why you're keeping Moss on the field. Obviously cook is a lot more explosive player overall. You must know going into a game like that, you're going to be passing the ball a ton and you're just trying to protect Josh in that type of situation. And it, it's it's so tough. And, and you mentioned it would have been nice to have Khalil Shakir in that game, just from a depth perception. It would have been nice not to have Jake Kumaro get hurt early in the contest. And I, I think we're, we're discovering early in this season that Jake Kumaro is more than just a special teams stud. Yeah. Jake Kumaro can play wide receiver. That's why he – that's another reason why he, he made the team. And I think too often we, we see what Jake Kumaro is doing in the preseason going up against starters, and we, we see, oh, two catches, 10 yards, or a catch for seven yards. And then we see Isaiah Hodgins in the preseason going up against third stringers, getting seven catches for 65 yards, and we falsely make the assumption that Isaiah Hodgins is 10 times the wide receiver that Jake Kumaro is. I don't think this coaching staff thinks the, the same way. And when you have Kumaro in the game, he can block, which is something that Gabe Davis is known for. So you're not getting a noticeable downgrade in the blocking. In at moments, Jake Kumaro has found a way to, to make some plays. He had back-to-back receptions before, before injuring his high, high ankle sprain. And that's when the offense started laboring. That's when things got tough in – it's it's unfortunate because the Bills are used to getting chunk plays now. And Miami just let them go up and down the field, but they were confident they were going to make a stop when they needed to. And each time, uh, late second quarter on, the Dolphins made a play. Yeah, and I kind of tweeted this out earlier, got a lot of traction, a lot of run, um, Dolphins fans everywhere. Um, like to like to tell me that their two tight ends were inactive, so that's why that they uh, they had to fight adversity too, but not even similar scenarios. Um, but I, I tweeted, you know, we talked about one of them already with the botched spike, but a fumble inside the, you know, no, let's not forget the five, you know, the fumble inside the five, backup offensive lineman created by that, you know, let's not forget Tommy Doyle jumping in, he did get hurt on the ACL, uh, causing, you know, he's out for the season now, but Justin Murray signed, who might be an upgrade at the guard position, seriously. Um, that was the first time he's ever played guard in Tommy Doyle in a, in a live real game uh, on a competitive level. Uh, so it's not like the Bills are sitting here. And then you you see like Kumaro goes out. If you would have said like Benford, Kumaro, and um, Doyle got hurt, you know, you might even be thinking like, say this was August 1st. You might even be thinking like, do those three make the roster? Um, but it's it's really funny that those three then all the way now September 25th are like, wait, we lost those three? Like Benford's now your starting corner, Tommy Doyle starting. Uh, somehow, Jay Kumaro, we just, we just talked about Jay Kumaro. And it's just a totally, it's just funny to me that on, on August 1st, those three, we, we weren't 100%, those three were literally, were probably not on our roster predictions. Um, it's wild, but it's just the cards that have yeah. been drawn at this point. And one thing I do want to want to address quickly, too, just looking back at the game, there was a lot of Miami fans and a lot of people in general that I think, both sides were kind of overreacting to this. So 
yeah. Some people, Bills fans, a lot of them, and I had a tweet about how the Bills outgained Miami 497 to 212. And some people were saying, oh, the Bills were just rolling on offense based on the yards. Bills offense was not rolling by any means. But I also don't give credit to the Miami fans that were saying, well, the Bills and Dolphins both averaged the same yards per play, but the Bills just had the ball for 90 plays and the Dolphins had it for 30-something. That, that's bull, what Dolphins fans are saying there. The reason why the Bills had the ball for 90 plays was they were sustaining drives throughout. They weren't getting much yardage, but they were sustaining drives. Every time the Bills had it, they were going up and down the field. The Bills' kryptonite was they couldn't finish their drives. Realistically, normal game, normal finishing ability, the Bills would have scored 27, 28 points. It would have been a good, not great offensive performance. Miami only averaged about the same yards per play because they had two drives where they were electric and they had a chunk play in one of them. That was a 40-plus yard pass to Jalen Waddle. If you take – so I don't want to say the Miami Dolphins offense was just as good as the Bills offense – it was nowhere near as good as the Bills' offense, but credit them for when they had their two op- their their opportunities for finishing. But realistically, this was a game that the Bills outplayed Miami. They did what they quote they they did what they needed to do to set themselves up to win, but they didn't convert. It's as simple as that. And more often than not, the Bills are going to win games like Sunday. You're not going to have all those things going against you. 90% of the time. And, and I pulled some advanced, speaking of which, I pulled some, talking about the Dolphins offense, I pulled some advanced statistics. 25 coverage snaps for uh, Kyrie Elam, two receptions allowed for 10 yards. Uh, so we can sit here and say uh, whatever we want, but Kyrie Elam showed up. I don't believe he dropped with Benford's injury and Trey White coming back. I mean, I hope he's week five, Mike. I know he's probably more like six or seven, seven's the bye, but I, I, I think that he's more like I mean, eight. But I think that's just so too long. long. I miss him. I, f- I forget what Trey White I think, looks like. I really think it's possible for five or six. I really do. Now, I hope so. that that aside, doesn't we can't really talk about that yet. Um, but Kyer Elam is his starting. I mean, he played well enough. Yes, he's going to have his hiccups. We're kind of, you know, you see some, some lapses at times. But he played really well against the best two duo. I mean, they don't have a third receiver in Miami. But the best two wide receiver combo in uh, Miami – uh, is the best probably one-two punch right now currently uh, in the NFL, and you know the Bills obviously their receiving core is not hard, uh, you know, you know far behind with Diggs and Davis when they're full strength, but um, you know Waddle and, and Hill to go for two for ten, uh, two for ten, uh, that's a really good day for Kyrie Elam. Um, Kyrie Elam, well, yeah, he came to play. He came to play, and it's his job now going forward. I don't, I don't see them sitting him down unless outside of some real struggles. I don't see them sitting you know, him down again this season. It's one of those things where we always focus on Josh Allen, the Bills offense, but really this Bills defense is spectacular and it has been for a long time. Um, it's just elevated this year due to the pass rush, which you look at the pro football uh, focus grades, which I know everybody is a little bit uh, up and down <laughs> about, but right now their team pass rush is a 90.8. That is just filthy. The, it's a lot of people said that, Greg Rousseau was going to step up this year, but he really has. He almost has a sack total from all of last season. Von Miller, you, he's noticeable on on every uh, every game. He, he hasn't gotten a sack the last two games, but there was a, a very good pass rush um, rep where it forced a holding 
uh, hurt the the Dolphins badly on that drive. And this Bills defense, it, it's amazing how many guys they're playing without, and they're still playing at this level. Miami right now has, I believe, the number one DVOA offense uh, in the NFL, which is kind of uh, kind of funny to to think about. Let me just pull this up. Number two, Chilly. pardon me, number two, right behind Baltimore, who the Bills get this week, but. The Bills' defense has been playing spectacular. I, I can't believe down your two core safeties, uh, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, no Trey White, no Dane Jackson, playing with a six-round rookie, and then Kyer Elam making his first start. Your your minus Ed Oliver, um, no Jordan Phillips, and, and you still are holding teams to 200 yards. It, it's incredible. I know Miami didn't get – uh, didn't have many plays, but credit to this Bills defense. I, I, I know people have been telling telling us on the show and telling me all offseason that the Bills scheme is is great and the youngsters mm-hmm. are going to step up. I, I might be a believer now. It, it might not <laughs> matter. Maybe if you can have Jamarcus Ingram in the game and still somewhat hold. I don't. I don't know, Mike. I don't know, Mike. I don't know about that. I, I'm starting um, to believe. I'm starting to believe in anything. Right this, now. Game, this game's Maybe. legitimate. I, we had a good chat on Sunday during uh, the during the live watching with uh, Eric and Greg, and I, and I told them Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Dan Orlovsky said one of the things about the Bills' defense that's so maddening is that opposing offenses know what they're going to do before they snap the ball. But they're just so disciplined and always in their their spots. And I, I I countered to Eric and Greg, if this scheme is so good, how come other teams don't just run it? Why don't they have the same success with this scheme? Because it's a copycat league. Teams do what other, what other teams do. Mm-hmm. How are the Bills able to have this scheme? And normally you think the continuity is what's going to bring that success on a week-by-week basis. How are they able to lose the guys that they lost on their defense and still play at that level? That's what's remarkable to me. And if they're doing this now, when guys start getting healthy, when you have Oliver back, when you have Phillips back and, and Poyer, because it's only going to get better from here. You I, you can't get much worse than it is right now. <laughs> no. Lost my fingers. Mike, they've had more God, injuries. They're, they're going to be nasty. They've had more injuries in the last 36, or I guess it would be now a week and a a couple of days, than they have in like three seasons. I'm not kidding. Like under McDermott. Like they've had more loss maybe in Miami game alone and, you know, maybe a little bit of the Tennessee game than they have under this regime at all. The the facilities are great. 
They generally rest questionable players. Look at Ed Oliver. They saw that and could Ed Oliver have played in the playoffs on Sunday? Probably. Um, Would you have seen some of the other players? Jordan Poyer, we have it on good regards. Could he have played on this weekend? Probably. Um, So you do have some of that information that they decide to rest him. Some compounding issues happened. They wanted to see what they had. The Bills did not treat this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to say it. They did not treat this like the Super Bowl. Should they have? I don't know. That's a debate for a different day. But they did not treat week three in Miami with 120 degree temperatures down on the field. They did not treat it like the Super Bowl. They just didn't. Um, you know, McDermott made decisions to rest players, which you never would make in the playoffs. He made decisions across the board to elevate a UDFA cornerback over a vet um, that they might have had more prepared for the season. Um, if they just didn't now that could be a problem for them. And they kind of overlooked it and thought that they had a good game plan. But they just didn't play this like the Super Bowl. I'm sorry to say it. The Bills have grander visions. They can't have this issue compound, but as on a one-week basis, they and they still, to me, and I tweeted this out, it was still impressive to play with literally. Did Doyle play through an ACL tear? Who was who was their fourth guard? Like, I don't even know what was going on with you. Like, for us, who knows the Bills? Everyone in this chat, everybody that's listening to this podcast, Mike, everyone knows every player on the Bills, probably all their practice squad players, and maybe even free agents you see on the board. Uh, that they're looking at, but we like, there was so much going on that we couldn't even follow who was at left guard. What was going on at center? Where's Van Roten? Van Roten's got, got, got heat exhaustion. Uh, Spencer Brown, was he benched because he played pretty poorly or was he not? Like, we didn't really know what the heck was going on across the, this, just like, like the who Bills almost, ran, yeah. <laughs> they almost ran out. Like Quentin Morris would have had to play all line. Like they almost ran out of players. I, like I'm not kidding. They almost and, ran out of. Players. And they still should have won the game. That's and they still and that's the point. They still should have won the game. They lost by two. The butt fumble, uh, punt. I, I I tweeted this and I wasn't no hindsight. It helped them. I think I watched the game um, Sunday Night Football where they punted the exact same situation from the one. The punt got off. They got it to the 37 yard line, return for a few yards. The, the Bills would have had the ball between the plus 30 or the 40-yard line. Like, there, he has six yards into the end zone to punt that. He cannot boom it. He can't boom it. He should have deliberately taken it. They shouldn't even have had a butt fumble. He should have deliberately taken a safety. would have been the right play call, in my opinion, because, look, it worked out. The Bills' offense was exhausted. Like, I think 35 yards needing a touchdown is easier than 40 yards getting out of bounds and needing a successful field goal operation. To me, I think that it would have been easy. I don't know. A touchdown. I feel – Normally, I, I can see an argument there, but with Tyler Bass's leg, you normally would. They had already had a bad operation before, though. You normally would take the Bills to get a field goal range. They were already there before the holding penalty. Granted, that's probably a 50 50 kick from that range, but 50 50 from there. Yeah, right. So, my. my they didn't lose you know, by McKenzie not getting out of bounds. That's I, I a 50 50 kick. I was happy with the safety. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I think it's a little unfortunate it went out of the end zone. Um, the best scenario would have been it, it went forward still a little bit and falls down at like, like the 10 yard line. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I agree with that. But, I agree with that. Um, you're right. I mean, the Bills were going to be in a positive situation regardless of what happened there, most likely, unless he somehow bombs a 60 let's talk about the Let's talk about the 80-yard free kick that he had. Like, it was oh, ridiculous. Yeah. We'll never see. Like, that's not talked about, like, ever. That's he what hurt. 77-yard I mean, yeah. free kick. A 77-yard free kick. What also hurts is you're entering your final drive. You're exhausted after just having a 17-play drive going for nothing. And Stephon Diggs is cramping on the sidelines. That's why I want the ball on the 35, You don't have those reasons. Gabe Davis is hampered. You don't have Kumaro. And 
and you and you have three backups on your own line. To me, what that Miami game revealed more than anything was that if you don't give better protection to Josh, right. he can look human. And right. him human, him looking human is still unbelievable. I mean, you're talking 400-yard game, two touchdowns. He still is uh, – You're talking happy. about, like, bouncing one throw at the end of the game. Outside of that, like, uh, the Dolphins fans will always say, like, yeah, the Bills had this list of things that went their way, but there was, like, six PFF interceptable passes. Those balls never get picked off against Josh, ever, because of the way how successful they are, how hard he throws it how hard he is to read. That ball never gets picked off. The difference there is the Bills will never not spike the ball. Like, that'll think, never happen again. I think We, we hear all the time about Josh Allen's interceptable passes. That's yeah. been a thing since he's a rookie. They don't get intercepted, though. Yeah, That's why just, be worried about interceptable? How many DBs are going to catch a fastball from Josh exactly. Allen? Not many. It's, di- so, it's different than misspiking the ball. Yeah, like, that's a different. non-point. And I always yeah. thought that was kind of a trash – argument slash horrible logic the the other takeaway i have from these first couple games so a, a lot of the fan base they're worried about how the bills are faring in one score games and so far there's a lot of black and white approaches where you have people saying this is a problem they need to work on it they need to get better and then you have a lot of the experts saying well one score games are luck historically it evens out over time and I tend to be more on that side than I am being concerned about it. But Chad uh, Diminisus, more known for his Sabres stuff than anything else, um, and expected Buffalo, he had a good point. Yes, it's probably not something to be dramatically concerned about, but when it does start adding up, and you're not talking about a two, three-game sample size, you're talking about a seven, eight-game sample size as it gets bigger and bigger, it's not something you can be overly concerned about, but there is a little bit of a trend. They are in these close games. Little, I don't want to say sugar high, Josh, but they do have issues converting in critical moments at times in these games. And long-term, I don't think it's a problem because there are games that the Bills have won by double digits that were close in the fourth quarter. And the only reason why we're not talking about them as a one-score game is because the Bills made plays to pull exactly away. Right. So that's a, that's why this is a little misleading. But it's an instance where the they sta- got the stats down. misleading to me, Mike, because here's why the stats misleading, and this is why I don't I don't that's not a good good logic. I don't think I like chat a lot, but I don't like that because to me those are coin flip games. It's just like when the Bills won like 15 coin flips. No, he's run. not saying it's not a coin flip. He's saying that. So I get what he's saying. He's like there's, some, there's gotta be something going he's on. Like if Josh gets jittery. If he's not, and he wasn't even talking about the sugar high Josh. That was just uh, a term I was using. Yeah. He was just saying when it happens over and over again, it might not be something that is something to be concerned about a ton. But if you can improve your execution just a little bit, maybe that makes you one two percent better. So small little focus on it. But the one thing that is a little bit concerning for the Bills, in my opinion, not the one-score game aspect of it, Mm -hmm. is how they are doing in short-yarded situations this year. The lack of a run game is is concerning, and the the deeper numbers back it up. The Bills' offensive line has been horrendous, and I'm trying to pull it up right now. Their run blocking on the year has a PFF grade of 40.6. 
That's garbage. Like, and it's early. It's early. But Aaron Cromer was brought in to improve that. Saffold was brought in to improve that. Same with uh, Ryan Bates being on uh, the right side of the line. They're, they're not blocking anybody right now. Miami was not scared of the Bills rushing. And it's hard to rush against what Miami was, was bringing to the table. But the Bills are not bringing any fear to any defense right now with their rushing attack, which is making them one-dimensional, which allowed Miami to just attack Josh all day long. And that's a little bit of a concern. And in these late-game situations where you have a second and goal or a first and goal from the one-yard line, I don't need a quarterback sneak. I know some people are all team quarterback sneaking until you go in. I don't think the Bills necessarily need to do a QB sneak because that was what we've seen in limited sample, limited, limited sample sizes with Josh. Sometimes in those big QB sneak situations, he gets pushed back or or the ball is – that Josh said, Josh has said himself in, 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 in meetings after the game, he was not going under center. Yeah, there's no Cromer is going to tell you this doesn't count because a we re rolled ten, Tennessee out of the building, b the Rams game plan was different, and c I was running Tommy Doyle with an ACL tear. Um, uh, as as and, and a center who couldn't get Josh the ball that the game plan just didn't dictate. So, I think at the end of the year, I think we can talk more about it, but short yardage is definitely a problem. And I definitely Eric see. Eric has the stat right here, third and fourth and one to three, convert at 80%. That sounds like a good number. I don't know what that is compared to the league average. Maybe um, I'm just way off on this small sample size, five rushing attempts. So it is early. I guess just in the eye test, and my eyes could be misleading me, I just feel like there, there's something off. I don't mind the Bills running it out of shotgun with Josh in those situations. It was unfortunate that um, they lost yardage on on their play. I I'm in favor of a QB power in those situations. If you're going to have Josh run it, have him go right for it. I, I that, that's just I think they belief. said on the broadcast I, I, they were they, they were fifty fifty in those situations, which, which was toward the bottom of the league. Um, at least at some point during the broadcast, I thought they said they were like seven for 14 at one point in those situations. Definitely. They don't seem to be terrible rushing, uh, based on SIS. Uh, one of the staff that I really like to use, and I had some SIS stats that I want to pull up from cornerback room, but Dan, but we're running out of some time here, Mike, we do have the film room coming up here after us. Um, and, um, but I do think that the short yarded situations do need to be cleaned up. But I think that Cromer is going to tell you like, Hey, look, I'm on to my third center, my third right guard our backup right tackle. It's, it's, you know, we barely are catching our breath. We don't know which receivers are in the game. Like, you know, we don't know what's going on right now. And I, I guess, it, it, I guess it, I'll, I'll pose it to you like this. Would you rather be first and goal from the five or first and goal from the one or two? On, on this Bills team? Um, I, I would rather be at the five. I'd rather have more space for my receiver routes. Yeah, I'd rather be at the five team, with more creativity. My, Sure. So what I feel like happens when the Bills get a, a third and short, fourth and short, a lot of times I believe they feel like they have to do the the power run or they have to do the the, the play action. They, they go away from what they're, they're best at. I think you just stick to what you do. I, I understand situations dictate different different calls, but right. sometimes I don't I, – I believe they're going away from what – makes them successful and sometimes i just rather them stick to what they what, what they do don't yeah don't let that but it's harder said than done i i understand that they haven't busted out some of the creative dables then and you know i 
isn't I, I'm not personally Dable's biggest fan, um, but they haven't done some of the creative stuff that he was able to accomplish uh, yet. But Dorsey didn't have the world's best game, um, but I thought he was pretty good still with all the adversity he faced um, in that situation. Can Bates pass uh, protocol? No, I don't believe so. I don't think we've ever seen it. I thought I saw something that showed that in-game week, very rare. It'd have to be a very minor. I guess I don't have the craziness of his concussion, mm-hmm. but I don't believe. You know what? They should have uh, just called it a back injury, and then he could have clearly not passed protocol. I know. So. I know. I don't think you'll see Bates. I don't know. We'll see tomorrow if we see Van Roten, um, you know, at, at the more natural guard spot. I think he's fine depth, honestly. I just don't want him snapping the ball. Um, you know, Bobby Hart, will he play? I don't know. There's definitely a couple of in, in, in Murray now. Uh, it's definitely going to be some depth for the Bills on the roster. So there's definitely moves to be made on their offensive line unit. It is really just down Bates short term. So it isn't like a bad situation with uh, with the Bills O-line. So we shouldn't be in too bad of a uh, – Long-term, uh, they're good. Long-term, they're fine. It's, yeah, well, it's, it's we're talking about another week from week stacking week. of everything. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, Mike, and, uh, you know, thank you all for staying on here a little bit later with the, the locked on Ravens guest uh, cornerback room. Uh, I've been digging into some SIS stats on Xavier Rhodes. He's been good. Um, 2020, he had a great season. Uh, 2021, he relapsed a little bit, um, but he's getting older. Definitely to me, I was trying to compare him to Levi Wallace, not because um, of any other reasons than like what he could come in and be able to do. I do what I would love to see Xavier Rhodes signing. I do think with his experience with Leslie Frazier, he's still been in for a visit. I hope that he signs tomorrow. They probably are trying to work out roster moves because they will have to clear somebody out. Um, you know, they'll probably have to wave a defensive tackle. They're probably trying to see practice participation, but I'd love to get Rhodes in here to be able to start uh, the game. I'd, I'd like to see him as far as starting the game uh, with Benford out and probably Dane Jackson. No idea what his actual neck injury is uh, and or length or longevity of that um, injury, Mike. So once again, we really appreciate everybody tuning into this crazy going deep podcast. We had a lot to cover. Mike, I'll bounce it over to you. You have any final thoughts on the Ravens? Let's get your score prediction. We'll wrap this thing up and we'll get everybody over to the film room. What's the line? Three and a half right now, Bill's favored. Yep. Yep. Uh, so I, I actually really haven't put a lot of thought into that's all right. What direction I, I have this game going. But you know what? I've uh I'm gonna stick with the Bills. I, I the weather is obviously a key uh, element in this game. Is it gonna be slop fest on Sunday? Are they gonna have decent weather overall? Too early to tell. We're still five days away, but um assuming that it's not just a rainstorm, muddy field, all, all, every everything that could go wrong. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll pick the Bills in a 27-24 game. I think the Ravens are going to keep it uh, within that three and a half if the line stays there. But I, I say the Bills are going to persevere in a close contest. Okay. I like that. Uh, I like those stats there on the RPOs. Uh, what's – What's also interesting is don't forget about short and intermediate short passes. The short passing game is an extension of the running game. And we forget that all the time. Like we saw that a lot with how successful Singletary was uh, with dump outs. And that was kind of their beater to what the dolphins were calling. And that once they covered that, they kind of got a little bit out of, out of Skelter, but don't forget about the short, um, the short plays uh, to your running game uh, out of the backfield. So they love to do it. I think that's been successful early on in the season. James Cook got involved and like to see him a little bit more. So I do think the Bills do win this one. I think it took a lot to go wrong their way. Um, Kevin was really good, insightful information, but the Ravens' offensive line's in a lot more disarray than we were even able to bring up 
Uh, they do have some successful names on the line, but without if Stanley doesn't go again, they're in deep trial. They're playing a right ta- rookie right tackle at left tackle. Uh, it's going to end up affect. It's affected them all season, and that's essentially how the Dolphins got back into the game uh, against Baltimore a couple of weeks ago. So I do believe the Bills win this one uh, based on the weather. You know, I don't want to talk about the weather anymore, um, but it is going to be at least a factor, at least for another five days here. I do think the Bills win thirty-one to twenty-four. That is a number that I've uh, that I was looking at preseason, uh, and it's a number I'm sticking with. I do believe the Bills pull this one off. I do think they have enough firepower. And I do think they get enough defensive players back to where it might only be Micah Hyde, Jordan Phillips uh, uh, out of the game, maybe Dane Jackson as well. So I think that there's going to be enough uh, to to uh, to to get it done on the Bills defensive side. But I really appreciate everyone sticking in here and going with us deep here, almost 90 minutes on the Going Deep podcast. As always, we're going to wrap this up. We're going to send it to the film room, Eric Turner, Anthony Prohaska, Kendall Merksey, they're all going to be taking us off on the Cover One Podcast Network. Uh, get out there and don't forget at all, everybody, don't ever forget about Underdog Fantasy, one of my favorite platforms that I'm using. Please use promo code Cover One and we'll match up to $100 on your first deposit. Season long leagues, best ball leagues, you don't have to set your lineup. It's super fun to get out there, do a draft, set your lineup once. Uh, based on the, the amount of points that the player scores. Fan, underdog Fantasy, once again, use promo code COVER1 for $100 on your first deposit. Really is a fantastic platform out there. But we're going to send this on over to our next show here, starting at 9 o'clock uh, from Kevin Misery, Mike Bond. We are hoping for a Bills bounce-back victory. Both of us think that that will happen in the one-score game. That's what I'm predicting. I think Mike did as well. We are predicting the one-score game. What are we doing, Kev? Our- what are we doing, yeah, I would love that one to end here this week. The one-score game, and the Bills have every make. This is a one-score game, I think, and they have every makings to, to finally put that narrative to rest of it actually being a corn, uh, coin flip. But from the Going Deep podcast and the Cover One podcast network, Kevin Masseri, Mike Bunt, we'll be right back at you next week, uh, Tuesday at 7 o'clock, with uh, maybe a, a fun Steelers guest. So we'll see you then, and uh, thanks for tuning in, and the Cover One um, film room's coming up next. Josh Allen. Looking deep, going deep. To me, talking about the build, what else would you rather be doing? We're hoping to add a, a new dimension to the Cover One Network. Slings it deep downfield, and Right now, I just want to talk about this championship level. I've never had a championship caliber team to talk about. I want to focus more on the storylines each week. What are the big stories going on with the Bills? What are uh, thoughts, commentary? How do these things impact Buffalo? Deep drop. Deep throw. And it is pulled in for the touchdown. Allen deep to the end zone and caught for a touchdown. Play action. Football player Travis Kelsey is pressed for time during the football season, so he does two things at once. Whether it's grilling while mowing, two things at once, or getting this season's updated COVID-19 shot at the same visit as his flu shot, two things at once. You can be like Travis and ask your pharmacist about getting this season's COVID-19 shot at the same visit as your flu shot, if you're due for both, as recommended by the CDC. Learn more and schedule at VaxAssist.com. Sponsored by Pfizer. When someone is hurt in a truck accident, the one question everyone has is why did this terrible collision happen? To answer that question takes an experienced team of lawyers and experts. Not everyone has this type of experience. At Colombo Law, we are truck injury lawyers. 
It's what we do every day. When someone is hurt by a truck, Colombo Law is the law firm people call to get answers. Hurt by a truck? Call Colombo Law.